General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. So tonight's a little bit of a corrections episode. We talked a lot about airstrike during episode 14, but thankfully, the day that we were releasing that episode, a lot more information rolled in. Now, instead of holding the episode, canceling it, not releasing all that information, we decided to take what we were given, do a couple days of analysis, and post an Intel update. Because, as we'll talk about, there's a lot of things we we knew we were going to get wrong. Now, with our updated information, hopefully we can provide you listeners a better analysis of what Airstrike is actually going to provide you. So tonight, I've got Brett on. Chris couldn't make it. Brett, it's great to have you again. Good to talk to you, brother. Happy to be here. Yeah, so you've had a chance to go over some of these updated intel, as we'll call them. Uh, I I think it's kind of funny. I always use the example, the real world example. I think we've all said in an intel brief where they roll out and go, well, here's what we know today. And you go, that wasn't what you told me yesterday. You're right, sir. We got it wrong. Damn it. Now we got the right info. So <laughs> I think that's kind of our theme for this podcast. Don't you agree? Like we're always adding stuff, right? We are. And, and so... Thanks to Andy and the Warlord team and to a lot of the other people behind the scenes. Uh, as soon as they heard some of our comments, as soon as they heard uh, some things we we're talking about, they, they fed us a little bit more information. Uh, and they, they really gave us a good look at the things that we didn't necessarily understand. And so we'd, we'd worked off some uh, outdated information, uh, some incomplete information. And I think that what we have now is going to kind of answer some of those questions we still had that were hanging out there about how does, how does the entire airstrike rules system work together with the rest of of Blood Red Skies. Uh, What I'd like to say is from the things that we've seen out there, uh, I think Airstrike is going to be a a huge addition to the Blood Red Skies series of rules. And and I think people need to understand that it isn't so much just another pamphlet you're going to use, but Andy and the Warlord team have really tried to tie everything back together. And I won't call it a version 2.0 because it's not like they're making big changes to the rules, but they're really trying to make sure that airstrike works seamlessly with the rest of the blood red skies rules and that that everything all kind of flows together now you know from the information that we've seen the the information has kind of been slid our way it looks pretty impressive i think that we'll be really happy with it uh hopefully everybody who's been a part of the blood red skies ready room has seen some of these pre-release ideas uh, as andy and the team have refined those ideas they've really tightened up some of the wording some of the language trying to trying to make it all flow well. Uh, what I will say is it's a product made by humans. You may find some typos. You may find uh, some wording of some rules that are a little confusing to you. Guess what? It's a game. Deal with it. <laughs> we, we've all been there. And Brett, I, I think you'd agree. There's things that, that we might have written differently, but uh, seeing the information uh, that they've sent us on some of the corrections and some of the rewording of the rules, it, it generally seems to make sense. And comprehensive, I would say. That's kind of my big takeaway. Yeah, a- absolutely. A- and I think people need to understand this before we even have the discussion of what's new in Airstrike, what's corrected from what we talked about last time, is if I was going to use an analogy, it was, it's almost like when a lot of these games, and I'll use 40K maybe, you know, when you transition from a lot of updates that are indexes and, and not necessarily a full new release of the rules all of a sudden you're putting everything back into 
into one big rule book. All the information is, is designed to play well together. And you, and you get that first big rule book and codex drop, and you're not dealing off of old indexes and the previous edition rules and how they were interpreted. There's, uh, there's a lot of good information that's, that's put in there. And so I think that's going to help all of us as we step off and, and have a rule set that supports dogfighting and ground attack. And obviously, there's going to be some great scenarios in there. I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what makes the final cut, what scenarios are going to be in the, in the final rule book. But uh, from what I've seen, there's going to be some interesting, challenging scenarios. And they'll, and they'll have uh, plenty of background information to, to help you make the right choice about the, the aircraft that you need to put in there. The, uh, the type of models you want to use and the type of terrain. So let's talk a little bit about some of the questions that, that we know we need to correct. Uh, there was some misunderstanding about anti-aircraft fire and how it will work. And uh, what I will say is that the light flak appears, and I'll say appears, to always be preemptive. In other words, uh, it will always be able to shoot you down uh, in all the attacks except for the high altitude attacks, uh, the light flak won't be a player. Uh, but in your dive bomb attacks, in your torpedo attacks, in your strafing attacks, it's always a player. Along with that was the question of, of what do point hits really do? People had asked us, they said, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm out there strafing and I, and I get a point hit on a vehicle column, what good does that do? It still takes area hits to destroy the column of vehicles. Well, we did confirm uh, with our sources out there that each point hit will take away one die of light flak. So think of it as shooting up that flak wagon that's in the convoy or doing some other kind of damage is going to take away the effectiveness of that light flak. So that will help you out there. And then remember, once again, as we talked about for strafing attacks, they do have the capability to inflict hull damage on ships. A lot of argument on the internet about that over the last few weeks. But if you take a look at the amount of dice you're rolling versus the kind of targets you have and realize most of the heavier ships also have the armored trait, that's going to start reducing dice and start taking away the capability of a strafing attack to be able to sink a ship through pure strafing. You had strafing ordinance in there, all bets are off. But once again, uh, just through pure strafing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to reduce that number of dice. So once again, I would encourage people when the rules do finally drop and when you get a chance to get your hands on the rule book, um, don't just take a first cursory look at it, play through it, see how the rules all work together. Uh, because once again, it's a combination for targets, just like with aircraft, you've got target traits that play into how the effectiveness of that, of that target plays in the game. I think that brings up one of the interesting things we want to talk about, Brett, is there's, there's a couple target sets out there, and there's a couple missions that might actually play well as solo missions, right? Yeah, I think so. It's funny. Um, the questions that I've seen people posting about what might be coming and the good ideas people have posted, strangely enough, I've, I think, at least from what we've seen, have mostly been already addressed. I think people are going to be pretty pleased. I, I think so. You know, what, what were some of the things in this last little bit of intel dump that we got from the, uh, from the Warlord team, what were some of the things that still surprised you, though, that, that were either written a certain way or rules, what we kind of felt were rules loopholes that hadn't been closed? Um, nothing pops out of my head as being, you know, there, there was a big vacuum. Uh, I didn't come away scratching my head wondering what was missing. Uh, I did see a question about, kamikaze attacks that i haven't seen answered anywhere if there's any you know right. if there's any right. any kind of um, 
mechanism for you know coming up with a kamikaze attack but is there something that you've seen out there that well, uh, I, I think there were two there was the kamikaze slash ram attack can can you do that on ground targets you know can you can you choose to ram a ship and and with that kamikaze attack do you does can you create a what kind of attack do you create and you know then there was also a handful of questions about aircraft firepower traits so if i'm making a strafing attack and i have an aircraft that's heavy hitter does that heavy hitter trait count for the strafing or if i have buzzsaw does that count for the strafing we did talk about that yeah yeah i i couldn't see anywhere in the information that that we were passed uh whether that was addressed or not that that firepower traits always apply um and i i think there are probably similar questions for ace traits about maneuverability if a if an ace is attacked and some of the cards that you can play there like slippery and some of these other these other traits uh does do those apply in a anti-flak role? So if you're defending against flak, uh, can you use some of these other traits out there that might boost your maneuverability, might, might boost your ability to defend uh, with any one of these attacks? So I think there, there's some things that may need to be FAQ'd, um, but I, I also think that there are also opportunities to draw the line between you know, aerial combat and ground combat and say, no, we're not going to transfer traits from one to the other. We're mentioning solo missions, and I just saw a post where Andy Andy Chambers uh, gave some very specific instructions for how to play a V1 shootdown mission. And uh, you know, it came up I think in a thread on the Blood Red Skies Ready Room, where somebody was like, you know, brought it up as a good idea, like, hey, is there a way we can do this? And you know, several posts later, Andy chimes in and gave very you know very specific, like, yeah, try it like this. And I thought that was really clever, and we may see that. Right. I, you know, I was kind of curious because I, you know, seeing how they they put out uh, from a couple different guys that were talking about it, you know, what what kind of missions would you have to intercept a V1? What do you think? Uh, and, and really the whole argument of of buzz bomb, was it buzz bomb flipping? Was it buzz bomb shooting? You know, what's the <laughs> what's the best way to simulate that? Um, and then a little bit of a discussion about, you know, hey, maybe that's really a good way to. Uh, to introduce kind of some of the the solo play uh, thoughts and and you know Andy of course weighs in and says hey you you really use scenario zero again the one that we've talked about the the most asymmetric scenario that's out there use scenario zero zero and you know here's your rules for a flying bomb so um, I think that's pretty cool uh, pretty cool thing that uh, that he's put out there um, and uh, and obviously he's provided the the actual information that he built to write that scenario down. So yeah, you know, I thought it was really something. cool because as, as people were asking, you know, as this thread, I was, I was, I was reading a thread, almost like a conversation, right? People were chiming in saying, Hey, but what about this? And if you're too close and it explodes, well, then you're in trouble. You know, so this long thread with all these points were brought up about, well, you've got to make sure you do this and remember this. And Oh, what about this? And then when Andy chimes in all everything, every single one of those things that were brought up in that conversation, if you will, were addressed in that, in that brief rule set. Yeah. Gave. I thought so, that was really which, cool. Which is, which is always the funniest thing to me about the interaction between a game designer and the community. Um, sometimes, and, and we've seen some recent posters in the, in the ready room take this attitude, they, they either assume Andy hasn't run across these situations before, or they want an immediate answer from Andy and an immediate rules dispensation. And, and Andy is very loath to jump in and chime in on those. But when, 
as I will say, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the good idea fairies start working, a lot of times he's actually done all the hard work. And, and as we saw, he rolled out this, this idea for a modification of scenario zero that took into account all their concerns. So uh, I, I think to me that really, um, that, that tells you how long Andy has been fooling with the rules, how much he's done to it, how much he's played with it, how much he's, he's really tried to, uh, to, to bring that, that out as a, as a coherent simulation as much as possible of, uh, of World War II aerial combat. We've been kind of joking around, you know, offline about swordfish and gladiators and, you know, how you hate biplanes and stuff. But a similar conversation came up on the ready room just about the swordfish and some other things and some traits and stuff for the swordfish. And um, right. So we'll talk about that in a separate episode. But I think there's uh, there's an interesting discussion. Uh, and Andy and I are kind of of the same opinion that the last thing I want to do is pollute my wonderful uh, World War II aerial combat game uh, with <laughs> right, right. The, the, the traits of biplanes and, sure. and how extremely slow torpedo aircraft would work. Uh, but, but that information is out there. So I think that in the next, um, in the next weeks, the, the community will just need to standardize a little bit of that, put some of that out there. Uh, and hopefully uh, if we have some time to help with that standardization, we can absolutely do that and get yeah. some of that information. The reason out. I only, the only reason I even brought it up though is, um, there was a similar comment, a similar thread, like that conversation about the V1 shoot down mission that uh, they were talking about uh, the raid on Toronto Harbor with a swordfish and, you know, it was right. an unopposed swordfish mission. And I got, it got me thinking, I think somebody even suggested a thread like, Hey, you know, that might be a pretty cool way, something like that, a fun way to uh, exercise the new mechanics of airstrike in a solo mission, almost like an entry level way to kind of try it out where, you know, you're one person's playing the attacker and the defender is only uh, executing the, the mechanisms for like barrages or flak or, you know, whatever might be in the, what you're trying to play with and doing the target stuff. And it might be an easier kind of way to do it without complicating it with, you know, six additional planes on top of all that too. And yeah, I thought that yeah, wasn't a bad I, idea. I think it's a great idea because I could write the subtitle Fly the fairy swordfish. Do you like kissing your sister? You know, uh, we, we, we can we can say whatever we want about biplanes, but not on my podcast. No, right, um, right. I, I think I think it'll be interesting. There's some things you you can do in there. I uh, I tend to lean to the later era and the cooler airplanes. Yeah, well, it doesn't have to be swordfish. It could be it could be uh, Malta based. Uh, uh, what Maryland's or something going over to take pictures? Of, I don't know. Whatever. But there's probably all kinds of opportunities to do solo missions to work out some of these different mechanics. Sure, uh, sure, absolutely. It doesn't have to be thirty airplanes versus thirty airplanes plus uh, airstrike. You know, flak and barrages and all that stuff. Probably. And there's plenty of opportunity for you to kiss your sister. So go right ahead. Just don't include <laughs> me in this. I want okay. no part of it. No. Um, well, a number of other uh, things have dropped, and, and we normally will take some time and do an Intel update uh, about those specifically. But uh, along with talking about like the, the swordfish and, and aircraft that will play into a lot of the airstrike kind of missions, uh, there are a lot of aircraft that are going to drop here soon. We've already had some Russian aircraft drop. We'll talk to Chris next week about his uh, take on those aircraft that are up for pre-order, uh, thankfully in Warlord resin now instead of in metal. So that'll be pretty impressive. Um, but the, the frustration for us is it seems like the Italian aircraft have, have kind of slid off the end of the release schedule. So we've been talking to Ken and talking to Andy, and we may see, uh, some lead pursuit cards for the Italian aircraft, uh, to at least cover down on the fact that they may not be released, um, uh, in, in current time for, uh, for working with, uh, with airstrike and some of the missions that we may look at. But I, I think it was good. We finally heard a confirmation on 
you know, a planned date for airstrike is before Christmas. And we heard that by summer 2020, a new box game focusing on the Pacific was going to be out. So that, that sounded interesting to me. What'd you think of that, Brett? I thought that was pretty cool. There was also some pretty specific um, mention of uh, new aircraft coming. Again, mostly Pacific stuff, but maybe as many as 12 to 14 new aircraft coming. Yeah, so uh-huh. there were a lot of aircraft that were, were on that list. Uh, and once again, if they've got the processes down for Warlord Resin, and we know the cards are already in the hopper for a lot of these, uh, these are aircraft they could pretty quickly put out there. I, I realize it breaks your heart that no resin uh, four-engine bombers made the list. <laughs> Seems Warlord doesn't want to uh, print a series of bookends for you. Um, but uh, at least we still have the AIM models out there for, uh, for a lot of these four-engine bombers. Sounds like these new releases also don't include uh, any of the World War II jets. Those are kind of later. Right. On, right. So that's, coming, that coming but later. A later. Well, and I remind all the listeners, the reason we ended up with the jet card as we did was not because Andy thought it was the right time to release it. It was because there needed to be a tie-in to Bolt Action Korea. So we really weren't to that release point in Blood Red Skies, but we needed the tie-in. So uh, Andy released that uh, that tie-in via MIG Alley. And we're going to see that all, all that information rolled back up um, into this, this airstrike compilation of rules. So it's, it's putting all that stuff in, in one spot. Uh, and from what Andy and the team have said, it's really an effort to to get these smaller releases that came out to satisfy very specific requirements, either of tying into Korea or getting other aircraft cards out there and some of those traits and some of those, those ways of, of fighting the aircraft, you get those all out there and then kind of reconstitute this into a, a, new, a new series of rules under the airstrike banner. So I think, I think it'll be pretty interesting. There were some very specific uh, drops, some leaks about aircraft. Uh, one, of, one of those aircraft said, uh, the uh, BF-109G this year was the quote, and uh, Tempest and the JU-88 next year, and all of these will come with named aces. So uh, Right, and so the other interesting part with the JU-88 is it, it has been out of availability, I guess is the word I want to use, uh, for a while. And so people haven't been able to get the card, they haven't been able to get models. Uh, it will be interesting to see that drop, and I assume that, like uh, the new r- Russian releases, uh, will drop in Warlord resin, so that will be very interesting to see how they uh, how they handle that. It'll be interesting to see the level of detail. I mean, uh, we've talked on the podcast before that the current hard plastic releases, not the the soft plastic starter style releases, but the hard plastic releases, really have a great level of detail, and hopefully they will carry that over into the uh, the resin aircraft. I, I wish I could get my hands on some of those Ju eighty eights right now. I've got a I've got a queue. I'd like to get started on with those, but um, you don't have to no, wait. No, you just have a problem. You, you don't have a queue. A queue is what a worker does. You're an addict. There's a different term. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. <laughs> don't make it seem like like you're you're producing something on commission here. This is purely for our own our own playing desires. I nearly have all of the 109s and all the 110s, so now I just have to have all the 88s. So, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, that's good. I've accomplished zero, and I'm sitting here on a on a work trip. Uh, with uh, still getting zero done other than getting the podcast recorded. So that's fine. When I get back uh, from my overseas travels here in a little bit, I'll, I'll be able to turn to you on the modeling again, which will be nice. But along those lines, we'll talk about it right now because we're talking about uh, airstrike. We, w- there's been a lot of discussion about what do you use for targets? You know, there's, there's references to do I put the target card on the board? Do I put a marker on the board? Do I put just a counter on the board? What, 
what is out there to make a target? And part of the problem we run into is scale. Now, now you've heard me, you know, have a philosophical discussion about what scale is blood red skies really. And we can have that argument until the cows come home. But I think we all realize that the airplanes are much bigger than the scale of the game. So for a target, how big of a building do you put out there? If I put a one 200 scale building, that factory is going to take up, you know, a eight inch square area. Uh, it's, it's not going to be representative of the actual size of the target. And, and I think we saw that even with the new MIG Alley map release, because, right, we saw that North Korea uh, map that came out from Deep Cut Studio. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, great map. And when you look at the Yalu, the Yalu is a small trickle map because it's scaled properly. Uh, it's it's uh, not a, the, the river's scale to the aircraft model is not a one-to-one ratio. So uh, I, I think when we look at things like that, we go, well, so what do I buy? What, what type of, of, um, of terrain for targets do I buy? Well, I went out there and looked around uh, from some guys I worked with years ago on a different war game. Uh, worked with a company called Brigade Models and looked at their, <laughs> of all things, their two millimeter range, their their Pico armor ranges, uh, and then looked at the U.S. distributors who also had a lot more of their stuff uh, and went out and found their small scale bridges, found out their small scale factories, uh, ordered a bunch of that from their U.S. team and have started taking a look at that because it seems to be about the right scale. It seems about to one be, to twelve hundred, right? Two yeah, millimeter. It's one, to, it's one to twelve hundred, and it's. So it's, it's really good for identifying what the target is, but it isn't so big that it clobbers the map. You can still move multiple bombers around it. And if anyone you know, needs kind of a, a frame of reference, it's almost like a monopoly mark. It's something that you're really not going to interact with. It's just a, a tag to show where something is. And in this case, you put it on the map simply to be able to figure out well, what's six inches for strafing, bombing, torpedoing, whatever? And I think we talked about ships are probably the same way. I, sure, I'd love to have big, highly detailed ships, but that really won't help with the scale. Because if your ship is a foot long, now functionally the, the range of your torpedoes becomes 18 inches, you know, because you're six inches from either end of this ship. So you need much smaller ships. Uh, As we understand it, airstrike's going to have uh, punch out target cards that have the the target information on them, and they're a set size, almost like a, I don't know, a f- maybe yeah, so, a three by five so, index card so, almost yeah, we don't We don't know how big the cards are. And, you know, I think they're probably smaller than a three by five card, but larger than the uh, two and a half by three and a half aircraft cards. They're, they're probably somewhere in between. Um, and so there's been some discussion, uh, and even in the original rules drops that we saw on, on the Facebook group, there was discussion about putting that card on the board. And I'm not sure that's necessarily how we want to do it. I, you know, something I know you and I've talked about is really, do you take this, these Pico armor sized targets and do you put them on a piece of acrylic or do you put them on a, a card sleeve, you know, something so you see, you can see the beauty of the math that you spend a lot of money on. <laughs> so you can, you can see those terrain features, but you, you now have this small bridge or this factory or whatever sitting on a, on a card that's your reference that allows you to figure out what's six inches from that area. I like that uh, idea. I think use the card instead of actually putting the card. I mean, I see the relevant, the, 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 the reason, the rationale behind putting the card on the table so that you can measure ranges and that kind of thing, right? But I like the idea of using that, that marker that you've come up with, you know, a cool piece of 
terrain in the one to 1200 scale on top of a similarly sized acrylic or other, you know, clear plastic thing that you could easily see the margins of that's the same size as the target card. Put that on the map, put the card off on the side, maybe where your squadron cards are and treat it like you do, you know, your bookkeeping for boom chits and stuff off on the side and it doesn't clutter up your, your, your table and you can still affect all those ranges and other necessities in the gameplay, but I just think it'll look cooler. That's an important yeah, part I, of this for me. You know, well, and, and that's, that is sadly the reason why I've gone down this Pico armor road is not because I don't want to use the tools we're given in, in the airstrike book, but because I sit there and I go, I want to bomb a bridge. I don't want to bomb a card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I bet they're, they're, the size is going to be nicely scaled, but big enough that you have some pretty cool detail. I bet they would paint up nicely and, and look pretty neat. I, I think you could have co- quite a nice collection of different assorted targets on your bookshelf or wherever for right. playing. And I think there's, there's an ability to build larger ones if you're doing a larger scale kind of event where you need more aircraft to be within six inches, because that, that kind of is a consideration that if I'm doing a massed attack with, you know, with six single engine bombers, as some of the scenarios call for, um, I can't have a one inch square target without everybody running over each other, getting in and out of the target area. You, ha- uh, you really practically have to have that card. I mean, I totally get why they have the card. That yeah, makes perfect I, I'm sense. I'm curious to see what the size is because, because I guess coming, coming from a 40K, 30K background, there's always baggage of how much extra range are you giving someone by making the card larger? You know, and so and so the are are people going to be terrain modeling their cards for advantage and making them small if they're the defender? Uh, right. if, they're the, if they're the attacker, do they show up with large cards? They slide up and go, oh look, here's my card with my terrain on it. Isn't it cool? Yeah, and no, I just gave you an extra inch in either direction to shoot. Uh, but but along with that, um, there's some of the companies that have also released flak markers, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, maybe it's because uh, I'm an old monopoly yet. kid. Yeah, so they're they're small little flak cannons now now you and i had had gone back and forth about a couple other models that were out there and there's some of the standard micro armor scale the 1285th or 1 300 scale um micro armor flak weapons uh and and my comment on that was they tended to get a little bit big when you needed to put four flak points out there for an airfield or something like that and and i think i think some of these things are we'll have to just play with and see because you know maybe i'm totally missing it and sure on one of these cards i can fit two hangers a control tower and four flak icons, you know, four, four, one, two, 85th flak pieces. Um, but not knowing that in my mind, I'm like, I kind of think they need to be smaller. And I went out there and, and I can't remember if it's Litco or one of the other companies um, has small little flak markers that you put out there so that you can put a number of flak cannons. So you can immediately look down and go, okay, there's, there's four light flak on this target. And as it target takes point hits and you pull those off, now you look down and go, Oh, he's down to two light flak dice. So, it gives you a, a, a really cool visual acrylic ready reference out there. I think I think see, be neat. we've seen, you know, Litco and others make, you know, acrylic game aids, you know, for the high cover markers and the boom chits and the activation right. things. Uh, you know, now you're going to see potentially, uh, you know, laden aircraft markers, uh, barrage uh, markers. Uh, you yep. know, who knows? There's all kinds of opportunities out there for somebody to do something clever like that. Yeah. And, and so me being, if, if there's nothing else, I'm a, uh, acrylic hoarder. Uh, it's a great opportunity to buy individual, you know, uh, burnout markers. So they've got like burned out vehicle style markers. You can drop those on each one of your target cards to track, you know, your, uh, individual hits. 
there's a lot of cool things you can do if you if you collect oh, yeah, acrylic yeah. like I do. Um, yeah, because you're gonna you, you, put individual you, flak yeah. flak bursts out there when you're when you're doing the barrage flak, which is in the yeah. rules obviously different than the light flak. Because you'll be keeping track of your uh, point hits and area hits on those target cards, much the same way we keep uh, keep track of boom chits on the squadron cards, right? Yeah, yeah. So you'll, you'll be markers for that potentially. And, and, and there's always ways you maybe you have markers. Maybe you use like a wound dial, like you would in 40k or 30k. So right. maybe you, maybe you just have a, a wound dial that goes up to six, five or six, and you just dial that down as you lose point hits, area hits, whatever. And there's always some cool opportunity. You can always make those uh, those wound dials with some some neat background art in there. So you know maybe somebody will do that for the community and and offer those at a reasonable rate out there. But I think there's there's certainly some opportunities. And then as as the rules have added more things that end up on the board, there's a requirement for different kinds of markers because you know there's there's not just barrage flak out there that would have normally affect only neutral or advantaged airplanes. Um, there's splash flak where they're shooting intentionally low enough to, uh, to throw up water in front of low altitude attackers. So there's, there's a need for splash markers out there that would be shot at disadvantaged torpedo bombers. So it's, it's really interesting, all the different, the different combinations of things you could have out there. Super cool. I'm always kind of, kind of impressed and, and intrigued in a way the cool things that come out like that it just i think it's really neat to see the good ideas people come up with and the things that come out i'm always kind of a sucker for those kind of things uh you know they may be uh you know i think about it like from 40k and stuff all the different little gadgets and special dice or whatever i just think that stuff's all super cool yeah i think it, i think it'd be neat um i think the the cons- only concern i have uh and and you know we we always never see the final version of the rules, so we'll see how it actually rolls out. There is that there are still at least in the in the interim versions we were looking at some items that are out of place, and so you sit there and you go, why do I not find about you know splash barrages until I get all the way to the end of the, the torpedo discussion? Actually, I think it's even later than that. I think it I think we ended up finding it in in the the uh, information we had. Uh, it was almost all the way into the scenarios, and and so. There, there's some things that uh, you really will have to read the entire rule book to find all the cool things you can do uh, in airstrike. But I think it, it certainly, with, without being too fanboy about it, I don't think there's any reason a current boxed game player wouldn't want to go pick it up. I don't know. What's, what are your thoughts on that, Brett? Yeah. yeah well, I, I was, re- I can't wait to get on, to get it and play with it. Uh, but the one thing I was most impressed by, I was kind of expecting it was just going to be this separate, almost like an expansion kit or something. It just had these extra rules if you wanted to strike ground targets, but it, it doesn't really come across to me that way. It comes across to me like a wholly new, like, hey, look, this is everything. You want to play this game and you want to go suit the nuts? Here you go. Here's everything you need to do this thing. So it really yeah, the, the kind of takes the stuff the- that we saw was written really seemed different than the the airstrike only drops that we had on the Blood Red Skies radio room. So really, like I said, it really seemed like a holistic, you know, we're going to reference all of the the other capabilities in the rest of the book um and, and that you're not referencing your your expanded rules your basic rules and your airstrike rules that that if you buy airstrike you'll have an ability to to have all this information in one spot hopefully with um some improved diagrams i, I always use the example that from from what we've seen the the best description is like going from a, you know a 40k box set where you've got this little small 
maybe five by seven pamphlet of the rules that covers the basic seventh or eight edition 40 k rules uh, to now going up and picking up the hardback rules book because that that hardback rules book has fluff. It has um, really good explanations of the rules with diagrams. Uh, it has you know a lot of a lot of special information in there that you can use for camp for campaigns or for for changing um, uh, changing up how the game uh, works because there were some cool new things that we saw in the in the rules drop that we were shown um, and so it, it it's it's one of those things that there really isn't a reason why you wouldn't want to go pick it up unless you just are being a curmudgeon and like playing with your scenario book and you know basic and expanded rules. <laughs> it's very comprehensive. I mean, it's got. You, you, you'd have everything you need to play pretty much every level of the game from the very basic stuff. And, right. you know, and, and, and I liked, the- I liked how there were some, some new options in there uh, because at least one of the things that we saw uh, that was, was not anywhere in the, the original airstrike rules that, that we looked at was the, the variations on how to, how to manage your action card deck and, and the ability right. to have, an open play deck where everything is just face up and you take cards out of them. You put them in there, you put them in there, you flip them over. If they're dead until the end of the turn, new turn comes, you flip cards back over. And it was a, it was a new way of playing it, realizing that you, you weren't so worried about the randomization. You were, you were worried about the tactics of choosing the right card to play at the right time. So it's pretty think, neat. There's, there's yeah. a lot of, uh, there's a handful of optional rules in there for different things that people, uh, you know, get embittered about or whatever. And, and I, <laughs> I thought it was cool to see that they're, Oh, Hey, look, you know, try it this way and see what you think. Yeah. Um, and and it, you know, we, we say it a lot, we joke about it, but there's, there's a lot of different house rules you can put in there. I was happy to see that there were some of those house rules kind of addressed that, Hey, try it this way. If you like it, if you don't like it, do this. Um, and even in some of the scenarios, there's been a, an addition to the rules. I think, I think there's still a lot of room in there. And I, and I don't, I don't mean to say it as a lot of room for improvement. There's a lot of room for tweaking. And at the end of the day, it's what do you want out of the game? Do you, do you want something that is super detailed, lots of aircraft, um, super, super tactical, uh, or do you want something that's quick and easy and fun to play? And now I think the airstrike rules not only gives us the air to ground piece of that, but it says for the rest of the game, here's some things you can do. Here's here's some ways you can play your uh, your theater cards. Here's some some more information. Maybe some counterbalances to some cards that might have uh, felt like they were a little uh, overplayed in the early versions of the game. Um, but certainly a lot more um, narrative flexibility. Is that the word we want to use? Yeah, yeah. That, that was something I really picked up on on the on the scenario portion. You know, of course, we talked about this the last time. How it wasn't just strictly air to ground scenarios it's everything from right. mission zero oh, yeah. to now mission what 11 so there's a there's some variety in there not all of them are airstrike specific uh, missions but um there was a flow i noticed that i thought was pretty clever in that the, the mission was it was each as you, as you read each mission it seemed like i don't have them in front of me so forgive me for being very vague here but uh there was a kind of a, dis- a brief description of how you could play this mission. It was very generic, if you will, like you could apply it to pretty much anything. It didn't, it was, you, it didn't give a whole lot of specifics. And then right. it would have a, maybe a tweaked version, like, you know what? And if you want to do something really different, try this option. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. then, and then it yeah. would, uh, then it would conclude with, okay. And then here's the final thing. Try this. Here's a, a narrative mission using this, this mission type, but, 
use these aircraft that represent this squadron for this particular action that occurred on this date. And here was the, here's the background, a little historical background about what, how this happened and how it's relevant. Now you can play this scenario using this number of aircraft and these victory conditions. It was essentially the same rule, but it was, I mean, the same mission, but they made a, I, I a historical think, application of it. I thought wait, it was really cool. I think for me, the, the scenarios gave me scenario OCD. That there were so many choices and so many cool things presented. I almost stepped back and like, wait, wait, what scenario number are we on again? <laughs> right. I, I didn't expect that because everything I'd seen before was just sort of the, the yeah, more was, generic, very, open-ended. Very generic, very open-ended, yeah. not a whole lot of specifics given. But uh, and, and I think there's a place for that because you, you want to give people a, a rough framework to play in. Um, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with saying, here's the historical prescription for how you would play this scenario in this one event. Uh, and I think that's pretty neat. I think that that actually helps people who, who, who may not want to try to figure out the balance themselves and just go, I just want to play something cool with a suggested force listing, uh, even if I have to proxy it. I like that baby bird technique, especially if it's, you know, recounting a specific, you know, historical thing. I think that's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that will work well. Uh, so what else did you see in the airstrike revision that we were looking at that really uh, really surprised you or interested you or, or you thought the community would really be uh, fascinated to hear about? Man, I'm, I'm not sure how much I could say, but I... Uh, <laughs> We've probably already said too much. Sorry, yeah. Andy. But uh, <laughs> sorry, Warlord Games, you can kill us now. Well, I was, I was reading through and I was seeing, uh, you know, stuff about... Uh, I, I can't remember what the reference. Oh, maybe it was in the scenarios. I, I was seeing in the very specific historical scenarios references. So like, okay, you're going to have, you know, this ace, and he's going to have this trait, and, and these are all ace cards that they're mentioning that I should have from my Luftwaffe expansion. And I was like, what the heck is this? I never heard of this. That's, that's going to be interesting. I wonder <laughs> how they're going to solve that problem. Hint, hint. And we'll talk no more about that. Okay, okay, good. Curb, <laughs> that, no, curb my enthusiasm. That's, no, that's, it's a great point to bring up. So, so I think this is another reason why trying not to be too fanboy about it. If things proceed the way that, that at least we've been led to believe, I'll say it that way, on the, on the lead pursuit side, if, if things proceed the way they are, this really is an a all-encompassing rules piece. And... And at the end of it, you'll sit there and you'll have a lot more ready references for playing a variety of theaters, a variety of aircraft, a variety of aces, a variety of things. You'll have a lot more information. Um, for people that are 40K players, if they remember, and, and I get my editions wrong here, I want to say it was at the end of sixth edition, how you could flip to the back of the book and you had a lot of information there that even if you didn't have the codexes, it, it <clears throat> kind of got you started. Uh, I'd say expect that, but more. Um, so I think I think Airstrike is is going to be a, a good initial purchase for somebody who maybe wants to buy specific models and doesn't need a Battle of Britain starter set. Uh, or it'll also be a good way for those of us that have played for a while to really re-cage ourselves to all the rules put together in one spot. Okay, I know uh, that we had a number of questions from listeners, and we tried to hit at least most of the ones that covered Airstrike covered some of the upcoming releases. Brett, what were some of the other questions, uh, other suggestions from our listener? Yeah, we got a great suggestion from Michael David Ivancic. And I, you know, forgive me if I've mispronounced your name, but uh, Michael gave us a suggestion right on our 
Lead Pursuit Podcast Facebook page saying, hey, guys, you guys mentioned some some products out there, but it's hard to know where to go. And it's frustrating to you know rewind the podcast to find the names of what you talked about. He asked us if we could you know, add a show note after every episode with any, you know, links to any products we talk about. And I think we might've done something one step better on our Facebook page. We've created an announcement or a, uh, maybe that's not the right terminology, but there's a post at the top. It remains at the top of our post feed on the podcast page that has a list of all the links for any product that we discuss or review. And I add to that every episode. If we if we you know, talk about something, I'll add to it. Just know that if you go and check that out, if you just look at it briefly, it may look unchanged. You got to click on the little tab that says see more to see it expanded and see what we've added at the bottom of that post, you know, from, from podcast to podcast, from episode to episode, you'll see that expand as we add more products and their links that you can go to their websites, check them out. And uh, we appreciate that suggestion, Michael, because I think that's a real handy thing. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Michael. Thank you for po- for pointing out that I'm a terrible podcast host. We already knew that, but that's all right. <laughs> no, thanks for uh, reminding us to put that information out there because, once again, there's a lot of links that we come across that we dig through that absolutely it's it's easy for us to put on the episode, put on the head of the uh, the header for the entire Facebook page. That way, people can reference it and not have to dig back through the audio and try to figure out uh, with my broken Southern English where we're actually, what the uh, web addresses for these places are and where they are on the interwebs. Awesome. Well, I think that's most of what we have for today. We're trying to keep it fairly uh, short, keep uh, it tight to the airstrike release, to correcting a couple of things we'd looked at and to kind of describing the scope of this uh, latest preview that we had. Uh, any last minute comments you want to add, Brad? Anything you want to throw to the listeners? I'm just busy plugging away. I'm I'm super excited. I think reading what I've seen on Airstrike is making me even more super geeked out about the Malta thing that we're we're working on. I hope to be able to uh, run a lot of those missions and scenarios uh, with the aircraft I'm busily painting. Well, good. If you're geeked out about Malta, go out there to Pico Armor and you can find Malta fortresses, Malta houses, <laughs> Malta airfields. <laughs> So if anybody who wants to play along with Malta scenarios, once those start dropping, uh, feel free to support the boys over at Brigade Models or Pico Armor uh, in the U.S. and uh, and take a look at that. And likewise, please simply take some time, give us some feedback, uh, either on Facebook, on our Facebook page, uh, going to our website, leadpursuit.net, going on there and writing a comment or just dropping us a line on Instagram or inside the Facebook group for the Blood Red Skies Ready Room. We're in there all the time. We pay attention to what's being said, uh, and we try to help Ken and the guys that admin that page uh, to kind of pull out some of the best ideas from the community there and make sure that uh, action is taken on those and that they're turned into something that's usable by the team. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. Brett, it's always good to talk to you. Hopefully, we'll get back with Chris next week and talk about some of the other releases that are near and dear to as a Russian player. And then we'll start exploring some of the uh, the latest changes that we've put out there, things that we're going to try to explore through the airstrike rules, through the Malta scenarios, and some interesting historical situations that we have. 